glad to see that a few hardy people made it out this morning, right? Brave those, uh, the roads to come on out. I, we, of course, you saw that we didn't have our first service, so sitting out in the lobby, I got a text from a friend of mine in Wisconsin. He said, he, he sent a picture outside of his farmhouse that he lives in. He said, good morning. So it's minus 11 degrees with a wind chill of minus 33, and they'd had snow, and it was just drifted. You know, he's going to, tractor was going to be busy for a while. So whatever it is somewhere, it's always worse somewhere else, isn't it? It's the way it works. But um, anyway, um, it's good to have everybody out here this morning. Um, the snow is pretty and makes for kind of a slushy ride home. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. been thinking about this uh, chapter, obviously, for a little bit, and when you think about the biblical conception of love, what the Bible says about love, and what Americans think about love, they're often two different, very different ideas, aren't they? Um, our, our culture thinks that love is essentially an emotional feeling most often associated with romance. Uh, this, is, this is how we can, we can fall into love or fall out of love. To, in our culture, it has, has changed a little bit to where to love someone now, to love someone is to affirm every statement, every belief, and never challenge what a person thinks. Uh, if, if short little Johnny with two left feet has a dream of being in the NBA, who am I as his parent to try to persuade him to a more realistic goal? That, that's, that's unloving to look at Johnny and say, yeah, I don't think the NBA is a career for you. That, that's the culture that we live in. In the same way, it's, it's unloving in the church to challenge every un, or to challenge unbiblical thoughts and behaviors. It's, it's unloving for a church member to call another church member to obey the Bible, obey God. That's, that's the culture in which we live today. What is interesting is the biblical idea of love is tied to the good news of the gospel. And the gospel begins with anything but good news, doesn't it? It tells people where they're headed if they do not repent. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on a Roman cross redeems sinful people who are anything but worthy of the love that God showers upon them in the work of Christ's redemption. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's true love. And the church in Corinth was plagued by division and factions. Basically, they lacked love for one another. You you could honestly take 1 Corinthians and say, okay, you don't love each other this way, you don't love each other this chapter 2, chapter 3, you don't love each other this way, chapter 4, you don't love each other this way, and work all the way through through the book that way. It was composed of new Christians who struggled to leave their pagan ways of thinking and doing, uh, to leave them behind. And so when they asked Paul about the role and the purpose of speaking in tongues, 
something which apparently was a source of division in the church, Paul answers her questions with chapters 12 to 14. And we're right in the middle of that right now. According to Paul, you cannot properly understand spiritual gifts unless you confess that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the only Savior from sin, the creator of all things, whose death upon the cross takes away the wrath of God towards sinners. And it's this cross, and this is important, the cross is the picture of that love of which Paul now speaks. The term that Paul uses, everybody knows it. What's, what's a Greek word for love used here? Agape. Everybody knows it. Agape. Now, I've heard all kinds of, for lack of a better term, wrong ways to describe agape. I've heard it's the love that only God can give and so on and so forth. But what you find in Greek literature and even in Scripture is many times the word agape is used uh, of, of people to love one another, and it's, it's what it means is what's most important. It's not, it's not some mysterious love whatsoever. It's basically agape love is it's giving of yourself. It's giving of yourself to another person. It is only acting for their benefit, their best interest. That's, that's a real good definition or description, maybe would be a better term, of agape love. And the term that Paul uses here is agape. And it's very important for us to realize that the first fruit of the Spirit is agape. That's the first fruit of the Spirit. Christ's love for sinners is the perfect picture of the love that believers are to have for one another. It is that which God requires of us in terms of loving our neighbor. In other words, to love our neighbor is to give of ourself. Oftentimes, to, we give of ourselves to somebody who we don't think deserves it. That's really hard to do, isn't it? In order to truly understand the meaning of agape, love, we must look to the cross of Jesus Christ. As Paul himself directed us, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There it is. There's, the, there's that act of love. The, the greatest act of love was that God gave himself to sinners. Christ died for sinners. So again, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that we are to affirm someone when they're wrong. There's nothing in Scripture that says that we are to affirm somebody when they are in sin or headed towards spiritual shipwreck. In fact, that would be the opposite of love, wouldn't it? That's the exact opposite. Idea being that they're going the wrong direction, they need a course correction, and so this is the idea uh, that, in, um, so this idea that in order to love someone, I must not challenge them or even correct their poor behavior or correct their thinking, it's absolutely unbiblical. And yet, that's where we are in our American culture. Am I wrong? Follow your dream. Every dream is possible. Well, you know, there are, there are just some dreams that are wrong, first of all. 
Secondly, there are some dreams that are just that. They're dreams and they're, they're never going to be re, uh, real. And so why affirm somebody in something like that? But self-giving love, love that demands something of us, love that is more concerned with giving and receiving is rare in the church today as it was in Corinth. The most obvious contemporary illustration would be the division over masks. Nothing in recent times that I've seen, a piece of cloth, a piece of paper, has literally divided people. Now, is it that piece of cloth that divided people? Answer is no. It's the lack of love that you have in your heart. So here we got, here we have, this is what we have. We have in their extremes. Now, please understand, I'm talking extremes here. In the extremes, we have one person completely focused on their personal safety. That's one extreme. On the other extreme, we have one person who's completely focused on their personal freedom. And what do they do? They will not give, and they want everybody over to their same opinion, and so they spiritualize their language in the church. Tell me if you've ever heard this one. If you, why would you not love someone enough to do X? Am I right? What is that? That's not, hey, you're not being loving. That is, I'm not loving you. That, now, I'm talking about the extremes of behavior. Please understand, I'm not talking about everybody. Everybody's got their opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. You're entitled to yours. We're entitled to try to persuade others through our opinion. But what we're not entitled to is to take our extreme personal interest, whatever that happens to be, and then frame it in love. Because once you've done that, you're basically telling everybody how much you do not love them. It's, and, and we can't see that. So we have division over a piece of cloth. And so the reason that, now think about this. Why, why is this so natural for us to divide over everything? Um, Buccaneers or Chiefs? Frankly, I don't care. I don't know if you're in that boat or not. Actually, no, I do. I shouldn't say this with this being recorded right now, but... Uh, if, if Tom Brady can lose, that would be a good day for me. So if you're a Patriots fan, I know you don't feel that way, but uh, I got that out there in the open. Go ahead and send me your emails. I'll be glad. Um, but why, why do we, we divide that like that? And the answer is that agape love is unnatural to human nature. It is unnatural for us to love one another, isn't it? It's unnatural for that to happen. Our world has defined love as a romantic feeling or it's an attraction and it has nothing to do with what true love is. The Corinthians were using, now when you, when you take this to the Corinthian church, they were using their spiritual gifts, those gifts that were given to build the church they were using them for their own selfish ends. Although not all members of Christ's body serve the same function, like eyes don't serve like toes and toes don't serve like eyes, each member of the body is essential to the health 
and well-being as a whole, but people were using these gifts for their own ends. Now, I want you to notice something with me as we get to our text now. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the last uh, verse of chapter 12, and I didn't deal with this last time I preached, and it's because this actually probably is better for chapter 13, but notice what he says. Paul says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Well, what are the higher gifts? Well, we're going to get into that in chapter 14. But the higher gifts, let me tell you what they are. When Paul says higher gifts, he's speaking in terms of what are the gifts that build the body the best? And there are some gifts that do that better than others, bottom line, okay? Paul's going to answer that in chapter 14, but notice the last phrase of chapter 12. Look at that last phrase of verse 31, and I will show you still a more excellent way. This more excellent way is the way of love. The more excellent way is the way of love. It's the subject of chapter 13. Uh, I was reading uh, some commentators, and, and one of them said this. He said, the way to think about love in chapter number 13 is this way. It's like the operating system on your computer or your phone. It's, whether it's Windows, or I think the, I'm not a Mac person, don't they just call it OS? And now they call it, I don't know. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Or if it's your phone, it's the Android operating system or the uh, Mac, the Apple operating system, whatever it's called, whatever it is. Each operating, can you tell I'm not an Apple guy? Um, man, that's two strikes against me already in one sermon. That, uh, but the, each operating system, when you have an operating system, that sets the bounds for what you can do and how you do it on your computer or your phone, right? I mean, if, you, if you're used to an Android and you switch over to an Apple, you're like, these phones are crazy. And same thing with an Apple, but an Apple snob would never go over to an Android, I realize that. So, uh, but uh, anyway, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the phones are different, the way you think about things are different, the computers are different, and you, you really have a little bit different way of thinking about everything you do within the operating system. Well, guess what? Love is the operating system in which you use your spiritual gifts, and so the way you use your gifts, how you use your gifts, to the extent that you use your gifts, it's all bounded by love. Love is the operating system in which you use all the spiritual gifts. That makes sense? I thought, I thought that was a great illustration I read this week. Well, with that, as a really long introduction, let's stand together and read uh, our scripture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with, uh, with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the, the love that Christ has showed us as sinners. I pray that uh, we will choose to love other people as we love our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. So, I had originally intended on preaching the whole chapter at once, but um, I, I, I backed off of that because I think that there's some good material that we need to dig into a little bit in chapter number 13. But we just read the more excellent way. When Paul said, I will show you a more excellent way, here it is, chapter 13, the way of love. If the spiritual gifts, if we're going to make any difference in these spiritual gifts, if these spiritual gifts are not going to malfunction in our lives, then we have to use them in love. And so Paul wants us to understand why love matters so much, why it serves such a critical function in our Christian lives. And he answers that question, why love matters so much, why is it critical, with three different answers. Verses one to three, he shows us that love matters because without it, nothing else will. In verses four to seven, he says, love matters because love makes us like Christ. And in verses eight to 13, he says, love matters because love lasts forever. Today, we're gonna cover just the first point. Nothing else matters without love. In the first three verses, we see that nothing else matters. Nothing else matters in ministry if we do not have love. Some of the Corinthians thought that their spiritual gift made them spiritual people. Some of the Corinthians thought that their spiritual gift made them special people. And so they were looking down their nose at others. And Paul is taking them the task in these verses and he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration. I don't know if you noticed when we read it together, but this is, this is all hyperbole, these first three verses. Um, it's sort of a way to, to verbally smack them upside the head, uh, I guess, and, and help them understand the way they are. Look at what he says. Very first phrase there. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, have you ever heard anybody speak with the tongue of an angel? I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so what he says is this. He says, love without, with, um, without love, eloquence doesn't matter. The hyperbole is rich. Suppose I had this, the, uh, this gift of speaking to the fullest degree imaginable. Suppose I not only 
spoke with the tongues of men, by the way, I believe that's the gift of tongues in the New Testament. The gift of tongues in the New Testament was the ability to speak other languages without having training. That's the way I view it. And I realize there's other views of that, but that's the way I see it in Scripture. Um, but if I suppose I not only spoke with the t- gift of tongues, but suppose I was able to speak also the language of angels, angelic languages, if I did not use love, if I did not love when I use that speech, that speech is nothing. The gift of tongues, as I said, it's not an ecstatic language. Let me, let me show you why I don't think that. T- turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we'll look at verse number six. This is, this is the beginnings of the church. The beginnings of the church. And Peter is speaking on Pentecost. In verse number six, it says, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, if you read the context of that verse, you're going to see Literally people from North Africa, from Kush, which would be modern-day Ethiopia, Turkey, Italy, you, you name it, on into Persia. People from all over the world were there, and it says, each heard in their own language. That's the ability to speak uh, languages that are not your own without formal training. What is it? What, what about the tongues of angels? Remember the issue at hand. When he says, I speak with the tongues of men and with angels, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the section in, in chapter 12 to remember that there, and, and actually we covered it earlier in 1 Corinthians as well, there were these, they were enamored with eloquent speech. Remember that you had these, these traveling uh, speakers and they would go from city to city. They would get a, a sponsor of sorts who would sponsor them. And they would, they would fill these, these speaking spaces up. And they were very flowery speech. And, and people would actually pay to come hear these people speak. Well, the Corinthians were unhappy with Paul because apparently Paul was not one of these kinds of speakers. All the way back in chapter number 2. In chapter number three, Paul says, I didn't come to you with powerful speech. You know what he said? I came to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because Paul wasn't a captivating speaker, he didn't use uh, uh, devices of sound, devices of speech. He didn't use catchy phrases, these wonderful illustrations. Um, Because he wasn't a captivating speaker, they were not very impressed with Paul. And so people who were eloquent in speech but do not practice love are nothing but noisemakers. Now, what is a gong? Everybody thinks of the gong show, right? Remember the gong show? Actually, the gongs that they use in these temples in Corinth, they were like, they were bronze vases. And you hit the vase up, up right inside and it would vibrate to a sound. That's, that's the kind of gong that you're talking about. And these gongs, they were used for amplification in, in large buildings, in, in the temples and things, and they would use it for worship. And they, they would have these gongs tuned. 
and they would they would have several of them, kind of like uh, the the church bell choir, right? And and use the different bells. The gongs are the same way. And so Paul says, um, "Look, if if I speak with the tongues of men of angels, and and I have not love, I'm only like one of these noisy gongs or a loud cymbal." And so according to God's word. Eloquent speech in any language without love is nothing but noise. Now, Paul chooses this illustration because it was a a sought-after experience that made people proud. If you could be a catchy speaker, an eloquent speaker, then it was was something that, that made you famous. And one of the results of the Corinthians trying to use that gift in their own power and for their own selfish and proud ends was that they were doing it and they weren't, weren't doing it out of love. There's a second thing that he says. He says this. He says, without love, prophecy doesn't matter. Look at uh, the next phrase there. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Continuing to correct non-Christian ways of thinking and doing uh, and still widely held uh, and practiced by the Corinthian believers, Paul takes another aim at another problem. Look at what he says. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he's about ready to, to, to shoot down another sacred cow, which was knowledge. Knowledge. But before he gets there, he addresses their misconception of knowledge. And the way he does it is he, he first mentions prophecy. Now, simply put, you know what prophecy is? Prophecy is preaching. It's unpacking Old Testament truth um, and making the mysteries of the Old Testament known and new. What I mean, the mystery in the Old Testament was who is the coming Messiah and how is he going to save his people? And in the New Testament era, somebody with the gift of prophecy was able to take those Old Testament passages and say, see, the Bible says this, this, and this, and you see this with Christ's life, and this is how it fulfills itself. That was, that was prophecy. And so, um, in the beginning of the next chapter, in chapter number 14, Paul speaks of prophecy as the greatest of spiritual gifts because the prophet speaks God's truth to the people so they can understand it and know it. That's preaching. That's what I do. I oftentimes will have people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I read my Bible, but I never understand it as well as when you explain it in Scripture. You know, I look at them and say, awesome, I'm doing my job if that's, if that's the case. Because that's the pastor's job. The pastor's job, the preacher's job, prophetic preaching is taking the Bible and making it understood and applying it to the lives of the people that you're preaching to. The gift of prophecy, though, must be done in love. And I grew up in churches where, or the circles of churches, where many times the preacher skinned the sheep instead of fed the sheep. You ever grow up in one of those churches? You ever been to one of those? Their preaching was not done in love. There's a lot of browbeating and that sort of thing going on. And um, to say this, I don't say this lightly, there are times when I agonize over, okay, I've got a hard truth here. How do, I, how do I preach this hard truth in such a way that it comes from a frame of love 
and not from browbeating or, or command or just skinning people alive? How do you preach the hard truths in a loving way? And it's very, it's difficult sometimes. The pastor who loves his sheep prays deeply for the most loving way to preach the truth. And then he prays that God will do what only God can do. And you know what that is? Change hearts. And literally that's my prayer. Every week, Lord, help me to craft a sermon in such a way that I present this truth in in the way of love. But God, no matter how I present it, Sunday morning, you know what my Sunday morning prayer is? Lord, I can't change this sermon but you can change hearts. And I, pre- I preach it, in some, or I pray it in that way, some, somehow, some way, some form of that, Lord, please change hearts, because I can't do anything but say words. You remember the account in the Old Testament of Balaam? Everybody remembers him because of the donkey, right? I've never understood how a guy can have a donkey talk to him and still go do the same wrong thing, but... Uh, do you, do you remember what the Bible says about Balaam? The Bible called Balaam a prophet of God. You, you know that, right? He's called a prophet of God. He knew the true God. He knew God's truth, but he had no love for God's people. With, with little hesitation, he agreed to curse the Israelites in, reser- in return for a generous payment by Balak, the, the king of uh, Moab. Because God could not convince his prophet not to do this terrible thing, he, he brought a, an angel, he sent an angel to stop the prophet's donkey. Several other times, Balaam would have cursed Israel had he not been prevented by God. Remember, three different times he was to pronounce a curse and he would open his mouth and out came a blessing instead. Balak didn't like that very well. But what the prophet failed to do through cursing Israel, he accomplished by misleading them. Because he misled Israel into idolatry and immorality. You find this, by the way, if you want to read about that, uh, he was put to death in, in uh, Numbers 31, chapter, chapter 31, verse number 8, and verse number 16. We find that he was put to death. But the prophet, he knew God's word. He spoke God's word. He feared God in a self-protecting way, by the way. But he had no love for God, and he had no love for God's people. And that is the difference between speaking in love and speaking without love. Contrast that with Paul. Remember Paul, he often ministered in tears, frequently for fellow Jews who would not accept Christ. It was was the Jews who caused him most of his trials. I'm reading, I'm just about finished with the book of Acts. And I'm reading in Acts, and every, every time he goes into town, where's the first place he goes? The synagogue. Where's the first place he gets thrown out of? A synagogue. Then he starts preaching to the Gentiles. And what do the Jews do? They work up the Gentiles and he gets stoned or something like that, right? Thrown in jail or something. 
And so it was, it was, their, it was their turning against the gospel, not their turning against him that caused them the most pain. Paul was not as concerned about them turning against him as he was them turning against the gospel. And it, you know how it caused him to minister to the, to the Jews? In tears. Listen to Romans 9 as I read it. This is touching. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow an unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of others, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Does that sound like a hateful person? It doesn't, does it? And there are times, dear believer, when you are called to speak the truth to someone, but we always speak it in love, and your heart might be ripping out of your chest because you don't want to say or to do the hard thing that you know God wants you to do, but you do it and you do it in love. And what always happens, the always when you say the hard thing or do the hard thing, what's the accusation? You're not loving. You're not loving. You're not loving. You're not loving. I've heard that over and over and over in ministry. And people say, you're not loving. And they have no idea how you pour your heart out to God by yourself in love for that person. And then to get accused of not loving, it just, it, it really hurts. Your, it, it hurts, doesn't it? If you've had children who have been um, hard to rear, You've had that happen to you, haven't you? Pour your heart out in prayer. Do the hard thing for your child. And your child looks at you and basically says, I don't love you or I hate you or you don't love me or whatever. And it just hurts. It just hurts. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. So without love, prophecy doesn't matter. Preaching doesn't matter. Number three, without love, understanding mysteries doesn't matter. He says, even if I could understand all mysteries, what, is it, what does it mean to understand mysteries? Well, mystery, I've already said it. I'll say it again. Mystery in the New Testament. When you see the word mystery, this is what it is. You ready? It is a divine truth that God hid from people in the Old Testament and was hidden to the Old Testament saints, but has been revealed to the New Testament saints. That's what a mystery is in the New Testament, always. When you read mystery, when you see Paul talks about mysteries, Peter talks about mysteries in one place too. It's always a truth that was hidden from Old Testament saints, but has been revealed to New Testament saints. And without love, to be able to understand all these things, it amounts to nothing. The same holds true for knowledge. If a Christian has great faith, but has not love, they are nothing. Even the possession of greater spiritual gifts by Paul does not amount to anything in terms of personal status if the person who possesses these gifts does not manifest love. You get the picture of what we're trying to say here? It's, it's at its very best, our understanding of scripture and humanity is puny. People are a mystery to me. 
Aren't they to you? Uh, and um, the Old Testament is a mystery. I, I, in my Old Testament reading, my devotional reading, I'm reading through Ezekiel's temple, I, Ezekiel 40 to 48. That's a mystery. And if you say, oh, yeah, I got it all figured out, then, uh, then you don't, because it's a mystery. But let's just say that we understood all mysteries, and we were able to come to you and say, hey, can you explain to me Ezekiel's temple? Can you explain to me from 1 Peter what he's talking about in Jude, where the sons of men uh, got with the, the daughters of man? Can you understand that? If, you, if we understood all mysteries and had all knowledge without love, they are less than nothing. The Pharisees had great knowledge of Scripture and their hearts were ugly, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Well, let me move on to another one. Verse number two at the end. Without love, faith doesn't matter. If I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. What's he referring to? I've already covered this. I don't need to cover it in depth. In chapter 12, verse number nine, we talked about faith, and I gave the illustration of of Gray Allison, founder of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. It's a gift of faith. It's a gift to trust God in difficult situations. And if we have this great faith and we have not love, it's nothing. And then if I give away all that I have, I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Suppose you give everything up to Jesus. Remember, Jesus said to us, that we are not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves rake in and steal. We're to store up treasures in heaven. And it seems like some of the, the people in Corinth have misunderstood and thought that simply meant being an aesthetic, uh, living a life of poverty, that their radical self-sacrifice in itself made them something extra special. And Paul said it's, it's possible to do all that it's possible even to die a martyr's death and to gain nothing, to have no treasure stored up in heaven, even though you've given up all your treasures on earth. If love is not the engine that drives you to sacrifice, and by the way, it's a constant battle we face, isn't it? Isn't it a constant battle to do what we do out of love? <clears throat> Thinking that because of our status, our privileges, our reputation, our gifts, our ministry, because nothing that we do that we must therefore be important, or because of something we do, I'm sorry. You must give place to me. I am superior after all, a cut above. The attitude that Paul's teaching us here is that really stinks, is what he's saying. That attitude stinks. It's about as useful as a crashing cymbal. It's about as useful as a gong. The only thing it'll ever do effectively is give people around you a terrible headache. It's like giving Junior a drum set for Christmas. I never understood, uh, I, I, this is a side note, I'm just about done with the sermon. Drummers, famous drummers, and I would read about them getting drum sets for Christmas. I'm thinking to myself, why on earth would any parent buy the kid a, a drum set? I don't know. But if you're that kind of a person, if you're the person who does everything you do and you do not have love, you, you're only giving people around you a headache. Paul says to Corinthians, if love does not shape your life and work, you are nothing and you do nothing. I'll close with this. Commentator I read said this, the loveless person produces nothing, 
is nothing gains nothing. Let me repeat that one more time. The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, gains nothing. One of the characteristics that I love about Providence Bible Church, though, is that this is a loving church. I've told people time and time again, Providence Bible Church is the most loving church I've ever been in. And I mean that with all my heart. And so what we, what we are called to do at this time is to love one another. Paul says, outdo one another in expressing love, right? And so ask yourself this question. Are there ways, small ways, that maybe I have not shown love? Small ways that I haven't loved Christ because I haven't loved his people? Just ask yourself, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking uh, to your heart right now, showing you. And if you're not sure, come back next week because next week we're going to describe that love and you'll know for sure, right? But uh, do we love one another as we should? Lord, I thank you for um, Jesus Christ and his perfect love. We know that uh, we love because you first loved us. And now I pray that as we minister our spiritual gifting to one another, that love will run deep in our hearts. Not only love for God, but love for one another. In Christ's name, amen.